You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today, we are, we're starting a brand new series, and in this series, uh, the series is called Jehovah. And we're going to be talking about the names of God. And this is going to kind of take us up to Easter, whether you know it or not. Easter is right around the corner. Um, this is going to take us right up to Easter. And God put this, this series on my heart, honestly, a while ago. And I've just been praying about when is the right time for us to talk about God's name. And why, why is that important? The names of God, it's simply because of this. The names of God reveal his character. The names of God reveal the character of God. In fact, let me say it like this. Have you ever got a, a phone call from somebody that uh, you didn't have their number saved in your phone, right? I don't know for you. Most of the time I let that go to voicemail, right? But sometimes I'll answer it just to see what's up. Have you ever answered it and someone, uh, they, you know, someone you don't know and they go to say your name and they maybe mispronounce your name if you have a difficult name? Anyone in here? That ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so many times I'll get this, this phone call and, man, these people are dedicated trying to get me to, to re-up my car insurance. Anybody else getting those phone calls, Right. Or, or my warranty, that's what it is, my car warranty, right? Hey, car warranty's running out. No, it's not. I don't know you. Um, they call me, and I'll, I'll answer, and they say, hi, is this Mr. Diebel? And I'm like, no, it is not. <laughs> you have the wrong number. The uh, bell is how you pronounce it, right? Soon as I know, is this Mr. Diebel? Hey, I don't know you. You don't know me? I don't need to be on this phone call, okay? Click, hang up. When we don't know people very well, we don't know how to pronounce their name, and it shows. It shows that we don't know you. Obviously, if I don't know your name or if I don't know how to pronounce your name, I don't know you very intimately. The other thing is this. God's names reveal his character. As we look through Scripture, we're going to see these names that, that God reveals and says, I am this, and what it shows us is it shows us God's will for our life. In fact, I would say this, God's will for us is not what he wants to do. God's will for us is who God is. Let me say that again. God's will for us is not what he wants to do. Well, man, I just don't know if it's God's will, what he wants to do. No, God's will is who he is. In fact, we're going to be looking at these Jehovah names. Specifically, there's several Jehovah names. A couple of them we're going to be looking at is this, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. So many people wonder, well, I don't know if God wants to provide that need, but we have to realize when we study Scripture, provider is his name. That answers the question, is this God's will? Well, it's who he is, so yes, it is his will. Uh, Jehovah Rapha, God my healer. Is it God's will for me to be healed, to walk in complete healing? It's literally his name. It is his will for you. We're going to look at that here in a couple weeks. Jehovah Shalom. Oh, man, God, my peace. Maybe God's testing me with this anxiety, and he's just he's teaching me a lesson through this depression and this anxiety. No, his name is peace. He wants you to walk in peace. Now, through that battle of depression or anxiety, he might reveal himself to you, and you might learn a lesson through it, but did he give you that? No, but he will use it to reveal who he is, who he is. That's why we have to know his name. When I know his name, and I know he is healer, he is provider, he is peace, he is the almighty God. 
how I approach God now drastically changes. Because if we're not careful, let's use uh, Jehovah Rapha for one, healer. If, I, if we're not careful, what will happen is many times I'll pray for healing, and I'll pray and ask God for healing, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever it is, and I'll pray with my fingers crossed. Well, God, hopefully, if it's your will, ah, fingers crossed. But God says, no, I've shown you that my name is healer so that you can approach me, come into my presence with confidence when you need healing. Not come into my presence with timidity and I don't know, God, if it's your will. No, he is a good father who loves us, who says, I have these things for you. I've shown you in my word. This is who I am. So now you can run to me, not run from me whenever you need these things. When I need peace, when I need provision, when I, I can run to my heavenly father. But here's what happens. If you've been in church for a while, what will happen, I know for me growing up in church, I came to a point in my life where I knew a lot about God. But if I was being honest, I didn't know God. I knew a lot about God. I knew the stories and I could quote some scriptures. But did I know God? And that's the big question for today. Do you know a lot about him? If so, that's good. That's not a bad thing, right? It's good to know about him. But the more important question is, do you know him? When I know him, everything changes. The more I know God, the greater my faith is. The greater my faith is. Because why? True faith rests upon the character of God. How can I have faith in someone if I don't even know them? How can I trust someone if I don't even know them? Any parents in the room? Whenever your kids were little, right? Just... Whoever shows up at the door, hey, you're the babysitter for today. No, I don't think so. I'm putting a lot of faith and trust in you watching my son, my most prized possession, right? No, I want to know and have faith and trust and confidence in who I'm going to have watch my son and invite into my house. It's the same way with God. True faith rests upon the character of God. When I know his character, which is revealed through his names, I can have greater faith. And then what can I do? I can better represent him to the world around me. I can only then truly live, love, and look like Jesus. This is what we're all about here at Abide Church, right? Only then, when I know God, not just, I know about him, and I, yeah, I go to church when I can, and I kind of do that volunteer thing every once in a while. Do I know him? Am I all in with him? What this means for us, though, is this. This is what God's put on my heart this week for this series. The revelation of we cannot know who we are until we know who God is. We cannot really know who we are until we know who God is. Let me pause here for a second. We can know who the world says we are, who my parents said I was, who my friends say I am, what my job says I am. I can know that, but that's not the real me. God has a version of you that is the real you. We are created in the image of God. Creating in, in, in his image. With that in mind, he reveals himself to us. This is who I am in his word, through his names and through these, these stories that are in here. In doing so, he shows us, hey, this is, this is who I am. You are created in my image. When you walk in my will, you can walk as I walked. You can live, love, and look like me. 
That's what First John says. Look, if we say we abide in Jesus, we ought to walk just as he walked. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but hang on here. We reflect, okay, we reflect and show outwardly what we behold or what we believe in our heart. How I view God, when I think of God, the first thought that comes to mind, the picture of him that I have in my mind, it is the starting point for everything. Because if I see God as an angry dad who's distanced from me, whose arms are crossed, who's waiting for me to screw up so that he can kick me in the butt and say, try better next time, I'm going to have a skewed version of who God is. And whenever I sin, if I mess up, I'm not going to run to that guy. I'm going to run from him until I get my act together, and then I'm going to go to him and say, hey, I'm sorry I messed up. But the God that we serve says, no, look, when you mess up, come to me. I am the God who will forgive your sins. I sent a piece of me, Jesus, my son, to go to die for you so that we could be close. When you mess up, run to me. But if I view God differently than that, a loving father with his arms open, saying, come on, come to me. If I don't see him that way, how I pray, approach, and my faith will be drastically changed and not in a good way. That's just my intro. Let's get into this thing, okay? <laughs> I promise. We'll go quick. Here we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this, the, the first name, Jehovah. Jehovah. And the first place we see the revelation of this name is when it's given to Moses at the burning bush. Right here we see Moses. If you, if you brought your Bible today, you can go to Exodus 3. We're going to look at a story. Exodus 3. Here we see Moses. He's out. He's working. And as he's going, he sees this bush that's on fire, glowing, but it's not burning, Right? Obviously, hey, let's check this thing out. And so he's walking by, he sees the bush, and he begins to engage with God who is dwelling. His presence is literally right there. So we're going to look at Exodus 3, starting in verse 4. Let me read this story, and then we'll talk about it. So it says this in verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Remember that, we're going to come back to that. After this, they have an exchange, and God shows Moses, he says, Moses, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to Egypt. My children, the children of Israel, they are enslaved in Egypt. I need you to go there, talk to the main man, and you talk to Pharaoh and tell him, hey, let my people go. And Moses is there with, with barefoot, right? Like, uh, what? What do you need me to do here? And here's what he says. After God says, this is the plan. This is what I need you to do. Pick up in verse 11. Skip down to verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I will have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am 
has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall tell the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial for all generations. There's a lot in here. When it comes to the name of God, God has many names throughout his word. And we could spend a year or more every Sunday talking about the name of God and the character of God. We, for today, what God's put on my heart is just three simple things when it comes to the name Jehovah that we see in this passage. When we see that I am or I am who I am, the Hebrew here is, where, is the source where we get the English word Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the source of what we see that when it's translated. The first thing, though, if you're taking notes, you can fill in the blank. The first thing is this, Jehovah. The first thing we see, Jehovah is holy. Jehovah is holy. Many times this isn't the, the, the most popular thing to teach on in, in today's world because, it's, it, honestly, it's kind of hard to understand sometimes. But let, let me say it like this. God's holiness is what separates him from all other beings. It's what makes him separate and distinct from everything else. In fact, I would uh, picture it this way. I've heard it explained like this. God's holiness is a lot like the sun, right? In our, in our, imagine if we just had our own little solar system here. The sun is a lot like God's holiness. What do we know about him? That there's no darkness in him, that he is himself a source of light. And if anything that is too impure gets close to it, we see it time and time again, what happens? It is burnt up and it is it is tough to even get near it because, not because the sun is a bad thing, right? How many of you agree? We need the sun to live, right? The sun's a good thing. But approached the wrong way, it can be harmful. And this is how God's holiness is for us. Let me say it like this. God's holiness is more than just his perfection or sinless purity. It is the essence of his otherness. Okay, it's his transcendence. He stands alone in his holiness. And this is why we see time and time again, we're going to look at it here in just a second, when people see God's holiness or see or in his presence for the first time, it's a lot like the sun, right? Is it ever smart to go outside and to stare right at the sun on a sunny day? No. What do you have to do? Ah, man, what's going on out here, right? A few years ago, whenever uh, Leslie and I were living in Kansas City, we had that uh, eclipse that went by, you know, and so the moon or whatever was going on, right, it kind of blocked the sun for a little bit, but they're like, look, even though you can't see the sun and you can look up at it, they said it's still so powerful. If you go outside and you look up, even though it looks dark and you can look at it, it doesn't hurt your eyes immediately, they said it will still fry your eyes. Don't go out and go up there. You need special glasses. Put these on, then you can look at the sun, right? They had to guide us through it because everyone's out there, oh, man, check this out, but they're going to go blind, this is how powerful God's holiness is. So pure. So set aside. But this is where it gets amazing. Here in just a second, we'll, we'll look at this. Um, last thing I'll say about before we read some scripture. God's holiness embodies the mystery of his awesomeness. It causes us to gaze in wonder at him as we just begin to comprehend just a little of his majesty. If we're not careful, we can become so, uh, maybe too comfortable with God and forget that he is still God 
and that I still must humble myself in his presence. That though he's with me and though he is friend to me and he is helper and comforter, yes, he is. But at the end of the day, every knee will bow to God. He is holy. He is still set aside. And how I talk about him and how I reference him and how I let other people talk about him in my presence is a big deal. He is God. Look at Isaiah. In, in two places in Scripture, we see an, an insight into the throne room of God. One's in Revelation. The other one's in Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1, Isaiah has this vision of the throne room of God. And, man, he just lays it out here. Let's, let's look at it. It says this, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, or these spiritual beings. Each one had six wings. Two covered his face, two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Isaiah said, I said, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. For I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Man, there's a lot in this, just five verses here. But once again, God's holiness is like the sun. Think of this, these creative, angelic, spiritual beings, the seraphim. There they are, right in the throne room of God, and what must they do? Even these spiritual beings, two wings cover their face, two wings cover their feet, and the other two wings they're flying with. It's tough for our human mind to understand what these things actually look like, but it shows us once again how pure God's holiness is, that even these angelic beings, these spiritual beings, must cover their face. But look at Isaiah. What does he say? He said, I am a man of unclean lips. What's the first thing he references in his life? Isaiah was was a righteous man. He was a godly man. But what does he reference? His lips, the first thing. Can I tell you, as we read through God's word, we see time and time again how important our words are. And can I tell you, it's not just spoken words in 2021, right? Our texted words our posted words, our words are a big deal. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36. He says, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Right? Wow, sticks and stones, man, but words will never hurt me. Uh, False, right? (laughs) That's not true. Um, Why does Jesus say that? He also tells us this, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So then, our words reveal the genuineness of our discipleship. Our words reveal the genuineness of our discipleship. What did Jesus say? You'll give an account for every idle word. What is that? It's careless, every careless word, and every unprofitable word. Not every word that's blasphemy necessarily. You probably will for that too. But what does he say? Careless, unprofitable. How many of my words this past week? 
and conversations I had for text, posts on social media, phone calls at work, by myself. My words are a big deal. And even Isaiah, an amazing man of God, said what? Ha, I'm a man of unclean lips. That passage is fascinating. You need to read it this week, Isaiah 6. I would say this, though. Why, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me say it like this. Intimacy with God requires righteousness. Does salvation require righteousness? No. Salvation is a free gift from God. Hey, I did all the work. Please accept. I love you that much. That's what God says. But if I want to know God intimately, if I want to hear his voice daily, if I want him to move in my life like I've never seen before, before it requires righteousness. And this is why in 1 Peter chapter 1, he, he quotes a passage of scripture here, but he also kind of lays it out in context. 1 Peter 1 says this, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hopes or put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Don't go back there. Here's what he says in verse 15. But now, now that you have salvation, he says, now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. I'm reading from the New Living here. What does he say? Because God is holy, we must be holy. What do we say to start? This first thing, we cannot know who we are until I know who God is. When I know that he is holy, I can now believe and begin to walk in holiness. Does that mean I am perfect? I'm not God. But I can live free from sin. I can live free. Now, will I stumble from time to time? Again, I'm not God. But I can have freedom in Christ to be free from past addictions, past sins that I was in. But what does it take? Intimacy with him. Only then can I truly walk in holy. In fact, it's a requirement. What? What does he say? He says, because I'm holy, now you must be holy. You carry me with you. I am a holy God. You must be holy as well. Not a condemning thing. Not a dad over here saying, nah, you better try hard now. <laughs> oh, man. That's not what he's saying. But I would say this. Salvation has nothing to do with works. Discipleship has everything to do with works. Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely give. What does Jesus say time and time again? He gives the parable of the talents. He said, I'm going to come back someday, and I'm going to look at your life, and I'm going to examine it, and I'm going to either say, well done, good and faithful servant, or I'm going to say, I never knew you. You wasted what I gave you. That shouldn't, that shouldn't turn us from God when I hear that. But what it should do is it should put a healthy 
fear of the Lord in our life. When's the last time we heard that? Fear of the Lord. Why? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a different message. Just do a study on the fear of the Lord this week, okay? Let me go to point two. Let me keep going here. Jehovah is with you. Jehovah is holy. Because he is holy, we can be holy, and we are commanded to be holy as well. The second thing is this. Jehovah is with you. Moses responds to, to Jehovah, to God. He says, who am I, <laughs> right, to go to Egypt? Who am I? I'm not qualified, I'm not good enough, and they won't listen to me because of who I am. I am nobody. And God responds, I will certainly be with you. God shows us time and time again, the wrong question to, to ask is, who am I? The right question to ask is, who is God? God says, what does it matter who you are? I'm with you. What do you mean, who am I? He says, who am I? The God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, I am. So because I am with you, go and have success. Too many times, though, we qualify, too many people, they disqualify themselves from doing the work uh, God has called them to do because they don't feel good enough. Don't feel qualified. God told me to tell you today, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Stop asking, well, who am I to go do that? Who am I to go pray for that person? Or who am I to take that step of faith? Or who am I to take that position at work? Because I just don't know if I'm good enough. But if God's prompting you to go, stop asking who am I and start reminding yourself, who is God? Do I believe he's with me? Do I believe he's in me? Do I believe he's given me his Holy Spirit power to do what he's asked me to do? If so, go. Go and get it. God will be with you. In fact, who takes over after Moses? Joshua, right? What's the first thing? that God tells Joshua, Joshua 1.9, this is my command. God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. First thing he reminds him, I know, he says, I know you're not good enough, okay, by yourself, but with me with you, you're unstoppable. You're unstoppable, and he's saying that to us today. Look, in your own works, you can't do it, but he said, that's why I love you so much that I will give you my spirit so that you can, so that you can have hope and freedom and you can walk in victory no matter what you face. The battles may come, but you will have victory when I go with you. Isaiah 41.10, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The devil will come and he'll say, Look, you're alone. You have no friends. You're not good enough. You're not qualified. God sees you as a second-rate Christian, as a second-rate child of him. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He loves you. He is for you. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. He's with you. He's with you. Jesus told his disciples, one of the last things he said, he gives them the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples. Go and preach. Go and heal. Go and do it. In Matthew 28, 20, he says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments that I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus. This isn't just, well, that was, you know, God in the Old Testament. He was different. No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
same God. But here's what's amazing. Jehovah, in the Old Testament with Moses, with these guys, Jehovah was with them. But we have the privilege of Jehovah being in us. New Testament, new covenant. What does he say? I will put my spirit in you. I will baptize you in power. You can walk in the kingdom. You can have freedom. You can have power. You can have boldness and wisdom and forgiveness in your life. He says, I will be with you, yes, here in 2021. But he says, even better, I'm going to be in you. Everywhere you go, I'm right there. Anytime you need me, I'll be there. I'll be there. Jehovah. The last one is this. Jehovah is generational. He's generational. You guys doing okay? A little quiet today. I'm fired up, but, you know, I'm just making sure you guys are good. Everybody good? All right. Jehovah is generational. We serve a generational God. This book is not a, just a history book. This book is alive, this is active, and this is ready to work in your life. If you will allow it, if you will run to it and embrace it and treat this as the water and bread of life for you. He's generational. He hasn't stopped being himself from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He's, he's the same. Look at this. In Exodus 3.15, that what we read earlier, he says, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. He said, This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Many times what is promised to Abraham is fulfilled in Isaac and in Jacob. Man. In Genesis 22, when God is talking with Abraham, he says this, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. This is true for us. Was it true for Abraham? 100%. We're reaping it today but this is true for you. We bring blessing on our households when we walk in obedience. We do. God says, this is who I am. I'm generational. And he says, you're gonna sow some seed in this life that you may never get to reap the full harvest of. But can I tell you, you can sow with confidence because your kids and your kids' kids and your kids, 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 they're going to reap a harvest because you sowed seed, because you obeyed. This church is in existence because my grandfather came to the altar to get salvation many years ago. Many years ago. But think of that. I've had the privilege of ministering to a lot of people and to leading a lot of people to Jesus. Think of what my grandfather did for the kingdom when he just came forward and said, I'm submitting my life to Jesus today. He brought blessing on that side of the family. Can I tell you, I know that because his brother did not. Same family, chose a different path. And that side, that whole side of the family has been this snowball 
of drama and sin and hurt and heartbreak and families that are broken, don't even know who my dad is, compared to, man, somebody making a decision for Jesus, walking in obedience to his word. And God says, I see you sowing seed. And that seed that you sowed is generational. It will reap a harvest, even if you don't see it today. It will reap a harvest. In in Luke chapter 1, we see the song of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she's worshiping God, and she says this, that God shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. There it is again, fear him. What What does that mean to fear God? Here's one way I like to look at it. Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. Am I afraid of God? Not in the fearful sense, but I love him with everything in me. And I respect his word above anything that I know in my little brain or what this world has taught me or what experience has taught me in my life. And I respect it greater than all of that. Because of that, I walk in healthy fear of him. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Our decisions today impact generations. And for you, you may be in here, and you may say, Pastor Dan, I haven't been, I haven't been living that way. I haven't been living for Jesus. Can I tell you that it starts today? Maybe you're living on the wrong side of the family wing. Maybe you can relate more to, man, yeah, my granddad, he was dumb. He made some bad mistakes, and it feels like I'm reaping the harvest of the bad mistakes. Can I tell you, today's the day of salvation. Today is the day of freedom. Today you can change bloodlines and come into a heavenly bloodline today and this generational curse that you feel like is on you can be broken today. Do you know that? Do you know that it's not something you have to live with but that you can find freedom? Don't live over here. Start with you. You may be the first righteous, holy person to walk in agreement with God and in generations of your family. Man, go get it because your decisions will impact generations to come. Their past is not your past. And even if your past is messed up, friends, can I tell you, God's big enough to help you get out of it and to leave it in the grave where you don't have to go back and dig it up and look at it ever again. That's the God we serve. On your notes today, I gave you reflection questions and action steps. Read those and ask them honestly this week. The last, the action step is simple. Ask Jehovah for more of him in your life. Not more from him. More of him. Watch what he will do in your life when you ask for more of him. Man. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness our precious Father, our Savior. Thank you for loving us enough to come so we could be a part of your family. We thank you that though you are holy and you seem so pure that it's tough to even approach you sometimes, we thank you that you've made us holy like you so we can be with you. We thank you that you're with us, you are in us, that you are empowering us every day this week to do your will. God, we thank you that you are a generational God. And no matter what situation we're in, we choose today 
to make the decisions that are walk in obedience with your word so that we will impact generations to come. And your kingdom will go on. It does not cease and it will not end and it will definitely not end with us. We're going to walk in agreement with it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.